Hello and welcome to another unexciting episode of the Hashtag Pistons podcast. I'm Joe, I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Truck. You can read me on, of course, Hashtag Basketball, Piston Powered, Pals of Pistons, and my own site, truckthoughts.com. Ku um, was supposed to be here, but he did not show up. We're not sure exactly what happened to him, but I do have another guest, another very special guest with me today. You can go ahead and introduce yourself, Martin. Hey y'all, I'm Martin. Um, you can find me on Twitter at I'm Martin High, or you can read my stuff on Piston Powered. And um, yeah, so Martin's wrote with me at Piston Powered. You've been there. You haven't been there a year yet. You've been there for a little while though. Um, since March. Yeah. I remember it was after my surgery. Um, I applied to Piston Powered, and y'all were happy to have me. Oh, we're very happy to have you. Martin is um the first time I saw you was when you you your you had your Twitter name, your handle being um the Pistons record with and without Reggie Jackson. So yeah. that was um that's probably where a lot of people would recognize you from initially at least. That's at least that's where I first recognized you from. So um yeah, so Koo was supposed to be here too. It was supposed to be a three man pod and my man's Koo just didn't show up. So you know, he's pretty unreliable. He's he's a big Derrick Rose fan, and, you know, Derrick Rose has a tendency to just abandon his team and leave without saying anything. So, you know, yeah, Kuz well, just... Yeah, there was a game where he just didn't show up. Yeah, exactly. So that's, Kuz that's just cool following enough. his footsteps. Um, So, obviously, yesterday me and Kuz did talk about this, but um, you didn't. So, just sort of first off, what are your sort of general thoughts on um, on the game last night? Obviously, once again, the the Pistons beat the Nets one hundred and three to one hundred in the season opener, and yeah. So go ahead and just sort of give your general thoughts on the game. The Pistons got off to a bad start. I mean, the offense just wasn't clicking. Nobody was moving. I mean, the only person that was really moving was Luke Kennard, and he was getting hounded uh, defensively, and. You know, it took a while for the Pistons to get things going, but, you know, with the help of Blake, um, he really got the offense going, dishing out the uh, the ball. He, I think he ended the game with, I think I want to say eight assists, but I'm not sure about that. Really. I've got the box score up. I'll check a sec. But um, keep going, though. <laughs> he had six assists. Uh, I just checked it right now. Um, yeah, he had six assists. I think he had, like, four assists early on, maybe in the first half. And he got the Pistons rolling, and eventually the Pistons pulled out the win. Yeah, so um, to sort of start to narrow it down a little bit, um, one of the first things we want to look at is uh, what sort of what sort of specific um, coaching things, like schematically, and you know, obviously, it's uh, it's not a, it's not an end all. You know, it's the first game of the season, so we don't expect it to be a finished product. Um, but yeah. what what sort of schematic things did you see that you liked? What sort of schematic things did you see that you didn't like, etc.? I mean, I let's start off with what I didn't like. I didn't like how Andre started off the game. He just wasn't into the game defensively or offensively. He was. He was taking bad shots, and he was letting uh, players into the lane. To be fair, he had foul trouble, but still, 
he got he picked up those silly fouls, and that's what put the Pistons in that situation where he couldn't play defense because he'll just pick up another foul. Um, and I also just didn't like the way uh, uh, Ish Smith played in the second half. I think usually Ish plays with a team like a team first uh, mindset, but he was looking to score himself in the second half, and that wasn't happening. And it kind of hurt the Pistons and let the, the Nets come back into the game uh, in the fourth quarter. Um, from what I liked, um, I liked how Andre played in the second half. I mean, I, if, it feels like he's a second-half player. He always seems to pick up his pace in the third quarter, uh, fourth quarter. And, you know, he had nine offensive rebounds last night, and that really did help the Pistons win the game because – that nine nine offensive rebounds uh, turned into 13 second-chance points for the Pistons. Um, the Nets only had five that whole game. So Andre turned 13 to five, which is eight-point difference, and the Pistons won by three. So. Yeah. And, you know, this was, a, this was a tweet I saw from, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Detroit Kool-Aid, but it was, um, you know, Andre Drummond hit a three. Pistons won by three. <laughs> yeah, this is like, I saw hey, that, you know. Um, you know. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. That's that's one thing I just didn't like about Andre yesterday. He was kind of throwing up some bad shots. Like two, two of the threes that he taken wasn't a really a good shot. I think he had three uh, attempted that whole game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he attempted three of them. Um, I mostly am remaining kind of optimistic about his three-point shooting, given what I've seen, because, you know, once again, a lot of people, when they've talked about it, they've wondered, you know, how many threes do we want him to take? And while obviously that does matter, my bigger concern would be how many possessions is he going to spend loitering away from the hoop and not doing the things that he's really good at? And that hasn't really ever been the case, um, whether you're even going all the way back to the the inner squad scrimmage um, through that, through preseason, now the first game that actually counted, they haven't really, I don't think there's been really any possessions where they've essentially tried to use him as a spot-up shooter. Um, all of his threes have pretty much come as him just sort of having the ball on the perimeter, and he's like, well, they're not going to guard me, so I'm just going to shoot it. And yeah, obviously that's not exactly a particularly creative way to find him shots. And I wouldn't mind them, you know, especially if he starts to hit some going forward, I wouldn't mind them doing the occasional thing to maybe get him a look out there. But I'm mostly, I don't mind if he, obviously he will have to hit some. So he didn't hit any all preseason. He hit one in the game last night, or I suppose by the time this comes out, it'll be two nights ago. But I'm I'm not actually that worried about it as long as he doesn't spend significant time standing away from the hoop, essentially being a spot up shooter. So yeah, um, you know you you kind of briefly touched on it, but I'm actually we didn't have this written down as one of our things, but whatever. Um, I'm curious, what do you think of the Reggie Jackson Ishmith lineups where they're both on the floor at the same time? Because now they probably they probably won't play as much as they did last night because obviously Reggie Bullock was hurt. But I'm just, they did that some in the preseason and they did it a lot against the Nets. So 
what what are your sort of what's your sort of take on that? I said it uh, after preseason was over. I didn't like the Ish Smith Reggie Jackson combo, but I didn't mind the Reggie Jackson uh, Galloway Kennard lineup or Ish Smith Galloway Kennard. Uh, I actually thought that was a pretty good lineup, but um, I just don't like how the minutes going to be distributed with Ish and and Reggie Jackson on the court at the same time. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's going to put wear on Terry on the point cards. Yeah, well, one thing, once again, I do think that if Bullock is playing in this game, he wasn't hurt. Sorry, I said he was hurt. He was sick. He wasn't hurt, he was but. I think when he's healthy, obviously, I think he's taking more of those minutes because so Luke Kennard played 19 and supposedly that's mostly because he's not all the way in game shape yet. We'll see. And I've said this a few different times that I'm a little bit worried about Casey falling into some of his um more cranky old coach instincts and saying, well, I need Galloway because Galloway can defend and so we'll see exactly how that works out. But supposedly he only plays 19 minutes because he's still working his way into shape. And then Galloway plays 33 and Ish Smith plays um, 29, I think, right? So I think if Reggie Bullock is healthy, I think that cuts into um, Ish's minutes as much as anybody's. But it is kind of an interesting, it's going to be an interesting thing to see going forward is that even though it'll be less used than it was against the Nets. It's probably something they're going to do. And on one hand, in a conventional sense, Reggie Jackson and Ishmith are not a particularly clean fit. Obviously, defensively, neither of them are particularly good. Um, The one thing Reggie Jackson has is that he's big enough that he can sort of credibly guard bigger guards than a lot of point guards, but even then, he's not that good at it, just... It's not going to be a total mismatch. And then obviously Ishmith is very undersized against pretty much anybody, and he's very, very wild with the way he plays defense. Then on offense, Reggie Jackson's not a great shooter. Ishmith is a bad shooter. And so just in a lot of conventional thought ways, it's not a clean fit. But on the other hand, you can never have too many ball handlers on the floor. And in particular, this Pistons roster... And you've seen it the last couple of years. That's one of the reasons why Reggie Jackson's injuries have been so devastating to the offense is that they just they do not have a lot of ball handling and facilitating and playmaking and shot creation, however you want to put it. They do not have a lot of that on the roster. And so there is an argument for that. Just say, well, you know, is Smith and Reggie Jackson are not a clean fit, but just hold your nose and get as much playmaking on the floor as you can. And... I mean, I'm not sure how it will go long-term. I think I'm going to write a piece on it because it's an interesting question, but it's definitely something to think about because, once again, conventionally speaking, they shouldn't be a particularly clean fit. But on the other hand, it may be worth it just to say, screw it, we're just going to play our two best ball handlers on the floor at the same time so that we have more of that. And you did see some flashes of how that can be useful in this game where – you know, first off, there's a certain yin and yang aspect that Jackson and Smith have, where Smith, obviously, he's a little guy. He loves to run in transition. He's super fast. He's never standing still, whereas 
Reggie's sort of, I and mean, he's not fast. He likes to kind of hold and pound the ball and sort of be methodical through things. But in the half court in particular, there were a few different plays where because he didn't have to handle the ball the entire possession, Ishort would get the ball out on the perimeter and then he'd just slash right into the lane and it'd be wide open. And it sort of allowed him to weaponize his speed more effectively in the half court than he usually is able to. So that's something that I'm going to want to explore more, but it's definitely an interesting question out of the get-go. So, yeah. Um, The next thing that we have down that we wanted to talk about is, um, obviously me and and Koo did talk about this yesterday, but I'm curious what your thoughts on um, Bruce Brown and Luke Kennard and their playing, and also what do you think of, I guess the place I want you to start there is, what do you think of the decision to start Bruce Brown, and does that mean anything bigger picture, or was it just kind of a, yeah, this was just a tonight thing for whatever reason? Just what are your thoughts on all that? I think that was just a tonight thing, because, you know, you, they could have went with uh, Glenn Robinson, went for a bigger lineup, but they went with Bruce Brown maybe for defensively purpose, but um, defensively, I mean, they weren't really that great, but um, Bruce Brown was making hustle plays. He wasn't he didn't do anything offensively. He had six points. Um, actually, had four. He had four points. Excuse me. And um, he wasn't really helping the Pistons offensively. Obviously, they got off to that bad start. Um, I think they went down fifteen to six at one point. Um, but Bruce Brown, he's a good player. He's just gonna need to have his game polished up. Maybe spend a year in the G League, and he can he can be a nice rotational player in the coming next season and then with Luke Kennard um you you, st- you said it already that uh maybe he's not in game shape yet and that's why he only played 19 minutes but uh I think he needs to get more minutes more shots up um he had uh seven points on three for five shooting um but he looked nice out there um offensively he looked he looked like he was uh moving around pretty nicely and um getting the shots up that he wanted. Yeah, I really liked the way that Luke Kennard was moving off the ball in this game because, so that was, that's one of the spots because, you know, one of the things is when you get a guy like Luke Kennard who comes into the league very polished, people have a tendency to say, well, he doesn't have as high of a ceiling. And really what they're just saying is he's already really good. And, uh, but one of the things that I saw last year with him is that, he really he had to learn to sort of weaponize his movement off the ball. And because of the fact, and it makes sense why that he will need some time to learn that, because for all the comparisons that people made to hit that, you know, he's, oh, he's going to be a J.J. Redick type or a Kyle Korver type, you know, that was never really true. He's always been a good ball handler. He handled the ball a ton at Duke. He handled the ball a ton in high school, obviously. So he, he actually hadn't been used significantly in his career as this sort of off-ball weapon who's going to run all around the floor and really learn to move without the ball. And so that was a place where I looked at him and saw um, a spot where he could really improve on last year. Because obviously when you have a guy who can shoot like he does, um, if, if he becomes smart moving off the ball, he can be an absolute killer in those situations. I mean, Kyle Korver and J.J. Redick have made their entire careers off of that. So 
And I really liked the way that he moved without the ball in this game. There were two plays, right, where he got backdoor cuts and got buckets. One of them was a really, really nice give-and-go from Andre Drummond. And so I just, I really like that. And I want to see more of that where he's able to, and obviously one of the issues is that he's not a fast person. Um, <laughs> he's he's actually he's not super athletic. Yeah. Well, he's quick in tight spaces, but he is not fast. So he's not the sort of guy, because so when you think about J.J. Redick, just for instance, just because he's the most obvious example to most people, he's he J.J. Redick is fast. Like there is, yeah. you know, I mean, he's not he's not a great athlete in the way that we think of great athletes in the NBA, but he is fast and also he's in phenomenal shape all the time. So his shtick is he'll just basically just run back and forth across the floor constantly and sort of just tire guys out. I don't see Luke Kennard being that sort of an off-ball guy, just... He's just, he is not fast in the open court. He just isn't. But he is quick enough, though, at that, and obviously combined with how threatening his shot is, that if he is smart about the way he moves, he can really cause issues for defenses and be a pain to guard. So I was really happy to see him moving better without the ball. And I, I think we both pretty much agree that Luke Kennard should be playing in a major role for the team this year. Um, I mean, honestly, you're probably one of the few people that's an even bigger backer of Luke Kennard than I am. So we're both totally yeah. on the same page there. Yeah, I've, I've been with Piston Power for, since March, and I probably wrote like three or four Kennard pieces, uh, two of them explaining why he's more than just a shooter. Like, he's just not like a Kyle Korver, a J.J. Redick, you know. He's, he can get to the lane. He's actually pretty crafty when it comes to finishing at the at the rim, you know, he has a deadly pump fake that a lot of defenders have fallen for. Like, um, I think, I think Sham was the one who said it's kind of Dwayne Wade-like, like with his craftiness around the rim. There's definitely, um, um, well, I remember, so right when they drafted him, because I obviously I wrote a piece on it after the Pistons drafted him. And I'm not a big college basketball guy, so I didn't know a whole lot about any of the prospects beforehand. So this was really, and I'd talked to some people about some guys and such, obviously. So I had some idea, but it was really my first real deep dive into him. And I was already surprised by how much he handled the ball. And in my piece, you know, at the end you say, okay, so what's his, like, what's an NBA doppelganger for him? And I actually said at the upper end, I I said, you know, if he were to fully realize his potential, he could be a C.J. McCollum type because, now, McCollum's a better athlete than Kennard is, but just sort of like, not like some super slash or anything. His whole game is based around his shooting, but just he can really handle the ball. He's super crafty. He's got every sort of move in the book. He's going to create space from anywhere on the floor, and... And the biggest the biggest obstacle for Kennard has been and will continue to be finding some sort of a way to be able to score inside consistently because I he just he just he can't jump high enough to and he's also got the he's got short arms too so that's a bad combination when you've got short arms and can't jump very high he gets blocked a lot when he tries to go for layups but if he sort of refines his floater game and sort of flip shots and such he can still maybe make that work out. But regardless, he's definitely 
a guy who can be more than just a shooter. He's a really good ball handler. He's got a really good feel for um, passing and just in general on offense. He's just got really good feel. And so it is kind of funny because there's a little bit of, uh, will be the right word. There's a little bit of a back and forth probably with what he should work on because on one hand you do want him to work on his off-ball game because there's a good chance that that's sort of something, one of the best ways for him to improve his game, but also you want him to keep working on him becoming effective with the ball because that's the best version of himself would be, yeah. I mean, theoretically at least, would be if he sort of, he continues to work with the ball in his hands. He somehow finds, I mean, he, once again, he's never going to be a super effective scorer at the hoop, but he sort of finds a way to just be crafty enough that he can still score in the paint and he could become, I mean, legitimately, I think that Luke Kennard, I don't think it's particularly likely, but he could become like a 20-point-per-game scorer. He's that kind of talented, and he's still only 20. I'm not even sure if he's turned 22 yet. Um, but you'll, you're probably about to check that, aren't you? Yeah, I'm not. I saw I saw you looking over. <laughs> You're like, I don't know. But, you know, he's young. It's not like he was a four-year player and he's about to turn 24 or something like that. So I legitimately think that that is his ceiling. He could be a 20 points per game scorer type. But there is still the extent to which you may have to be more realistic and say, okay, he can handle the ball and that's great. But he has to – his main thing is going to be his shooting. So there is a little bit of a – you know, you have to decide what exactly you want to work on and what you don't. So, did you? Do you, how old is he? He's twenty-two. He just turned twenty-two in the summer. Okay, so he just turned twenty-two. All right. So, we are we did just pass over twenty minutes. So we'll finish up with um, last thing. So, what are just some? You know, I'm not a specific number of them, but just a few different things that you're looking for the Pistons to sort of improve upon from the first game to the next game, which they play on Saturday against the Bulls. At, Eight o'clock Eastern Time. Well, obviously the first thing was uh, improving defensively. I mean, the, they weren't playing good defense at all. They were they were letting Karis Lever in the lane, Spencer Dinwiddie in the lane over and over whenever they wanted to, and you know, uh, Andre's got to play better defense when it comes to uh, guarding the the paint because he has to show himself that that's that's that he can he can become a second help defender. Or, you know, or Reggie Jackson's got to uh, play better defensively. He's got to stay in front of his man. Uh, Ish Smith the same way. Um, but it's not only the Pistons. I mean, Casey's got to got to help them with that. Like his his defensive plans weren't working. He weren't working all game. And Levert scored, I think, twenty seven. I think yesterday when yeah double that. yeah he scored 27 it was a career 27. high 27 and spencer uh, dimwitty also scored 23 and it was just it was yeah. a layup line for a lot of the game and i mean yeah. on that note just because we me and ku talked about this a little bit yesterday and i was a little bit hard on the schematics and i mean I haven't actually been as public with it, but like you're in, you're in the group chats and such, so you know that I'm I'm not a fan of Casey's defensive scheme, particularly when it when it comes to Andre. But it is worth remembering, and it's something that like I in particular have to have at least a little bit of patience for. Is you know, be willing to give them some time to 
sort of learn it and feel it out and get it figured out. And even though it, I'm not a fan of the scheme, they clearly were not executing it very well. So defensively, I think everybody has to just everyone has to do better. I think it would. Now, the other thing, though, is that it'd be stupid for them to change the scheme after one game. Right. Like that is the truth. Even though I look yeah. at it and I think this is not a very good scheme. You don't look well, at one game and go, OK, we're going to scrap this scheme that we've been working on the entire, you know, training camp and such what were you about to say maybe the game is different when stanley if stanley johnson had played because he's obviously the best on ball defender on the team and um maybe they would have thrown him on carries lover and he would have scored a lot less yeah so okay so like the thought process for the defensive scheme is there so they have the big sit way back their perimeter defenders go over every single screen and everyone else stays home. And then, you know, there is a sound thought process there, which is basically we're not going to let guys get pull-up threes and we're not going to let guys get to the rim. We're just we're going to let them have that middle area because mid-range shots are the worst shots. And there are issues with that scheme, which, like, first off, when you give guys as much space as they're giving them in the mid-range, guess what? Those shots will start to become good, good shots against, you know, good players are going to hit those enough. And then the other thing is that you're giving the sort of respect to guys who are not good enough three-point shooters to earn that respect. Like Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, and D'Angelo Russell are pretty good shooters, but none of them are the sort of guys that you're super terrified about killing you with pull-up threes all day. You know, it's not like this is... It's not like this is Kyle Lowry or Damian Lillard or something like that where it's yeah. like, no, you cannot let them get pull up threes or they will beat you. So I feel like you're sort of, you're giving them respect for something that they don't necessarily actually haven't actually earned. But the thing is though, the Pistons executed it so poorly that it didn't even work out. Like Andre, you know, it's not like they just, now Karis did have quite a few really nice finishes and sort of the in between areas with some floaters and such. So he really, and that's a place, something that he's really good at. He's got really good feel in those areas, but it's not like him, you know, those, the nets were just hitting all kinds of mid range shots. It's just like, well, those are the shots you're supposed to give up. Like (laughs) they're getting to the rim at will. So yeah, it's just, they need to execute it better. And I do hope that they're willing to maybe start to shake it up a little bit, but you know, nope, I'm never going to say that they, they should keep with the scheme for at least a little bit. You don't scrap a scheme after one game, even if it's a scheme that I'm not a fan of. Um, I think the last thing that I'd say sort of schematically to improve is they only took, I think 24 threes in that game, which hypothetically with a healthy Reggie Bullock that helps. Although, I think most of the minutes that Reggie Bullock would have gotten went to Langston and Galloway, and it's not like he's a shy three-point shooter. So either way, just, I mean, we don't know exactly what the number that the Pistons are going to be trying to shoot. Dwayne Casey said that they have a number in mind that they want the team to shoot every game, and we don't know exactly what that is. I'm going to guess it's probably 40, to be honest, because they shot just over 40 per game in the preseason, and the Raptors last season shot just about 40 per game. But and this is actually, this is one of the reasons why this is something to watch, is that 
it's something that I'm a little bit worried about with Casey because even though it's great that he's decided, you know, we have to shoot more threes, and that is great. That's smart. But it's not just as simple as, okay, we're just going to shoot 43s a game. You have to be able to create those three-pointers. And this game was a little bit of an outlier because the Nets are so incredibly thin, literally thin up front, that it was pretty clearly is the Pistons' best option to just mash them inside, just have Blake Griffin do the human battering ram thing and just destroy them on the inside. But I just I hope that they have something better for how to create open three-pointers because they didn't do that a lot in this game. So um, I, you cer- I certainly hope that they at least get up 30-some in the next game against the Bulls. So that's the other thing that I'd watch. So... Yeah, we're almost 30 minutes, so do you have any last thoughts to put in before we hang it up? Um, we didn't really talk about how much of a monster game Andre had. I mean, 24-20, and 20, he's the first Piston to have a 20-20 game on opening night. I mean, dude is just a beast on the boards. And we thought 16 rebounds was, was outrageous to have to average um, on the season, but he might actually average more than that. Like, that's insane in the modern day. Yeah. Well, we actually talked about this a little bit earlier today on in a chat, but um, a lot of where his, where his per-game average ends up being, a lot of it will have to do with the potential for um, Blake Griffin to have a similar effect on him as he did last year because Blake Griffin is a big body. He's really good at boxing out, but he's also very content to just let other people get the rebounds. He's not actually, he's basically the anti Russell Westbrook because, you know, he's, he's a guy, he's just going to box out. He doesn't care if he gets the rebounds or not. And he had a similar effect on DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan was a better rebounder. He got more rebounders when he played. He got more rebounders. He got more rebounds when he played with Blake Griffin. And I'm not going to bother to bring it up. I don't remember exactly. But I think after the Blake Griffin trade, Andre Drummond averaged like 17 some per game. So Yeah, he averaged 17.2. Yeah. No, I wouldn't expect that to happen. That'd be <laughs> to hold that pace over an entire season would be pretty absurd. But I think it's entirely realistic to say that because, once again, that's a trend that Blake Griffin has had with DeAndre Jordan for the last several years where DeAndre Jordan has gotten more rebounds when he's on the floor with Blake Griffin. So I see no reason why that wouldn't be true with Andre Drummond as well. So, yeah, I think that there's a good chance that he averages more rebounds than he did last year, which would, like you said, absurd in the modern era to do that. So, yeah, and, I mean... (laughs) Me and Koo talked about this in yesterday, but it's just so funny because people talk so much about how um, about how he's not really a he 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 didn't really play great in the first half, and he had this issue and that issue, and then at the end of the game he had twenty four and twenty, like just what an absolute monster! Like that dude, that dude's just different. You know what I mean? So yeah, but yeah, it was really fun to see him do that and. Blake also had a huge game, so hopefully that can keep up. And other than his late game shenanigans, Reggie Jackson played pretty well. So the Pistons' proverbial big three played pretty well in that game, which was great to see. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Any more final thoughts? 
No, thanks for having me. All right, cool. And yeah, so hopefully cool will come back soon. Um, and yeah. <laughs> but maybe we can have a, another appearance of me uh, when Koo is here next time. Oh yeah, for sure. So yeah, so this is for this could be going up on Friday. So we'll have another one probably before the next Pistons game. But just in case. We don't get it up. Um, as a reminder, the Pistons' next game is Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time against the Chicago Bulls. And the Bulls are actually, they're probably done by now, but they played tonight. So, yeah, I probably should have checked what the score was in that. But they played tonight. Uh, they, lost, they lost, and they, they got smoked, I think. Yeah, they got smoked by 19. Yeah, they played the Sixers. So, yeah, and the Bulls are not very good, so... <laughs> should theoretically be another one that the Pistons should be able to win. So, yeah, yeah. Um, stay beautiful, everybody, and go Pistons.